Hey everybody, this is Sam, that girl with the curls, uh, bringing you another amazing episode of the podcast. Uh, if I do so myself, and I always do, whether it's true or not, uh, try to figure out when I'm lying. I dare you. Um, yeah, so it's been a little bit uh, since the last uh, short episode, just kind of going on about the state of things, and really hasn't changed all that much. My feelings remain the same. Uh, so yeah, we're just gonna start this off with a, a positive thing, um, which is Star Wars, uh, Rogue One. Uh, I really enjoyed it, and, uh, you'll remember James, Roman on the Rocks, is, uh, on the show as well, and he also enjoyed it. We go into that, we also go into things that, you know, were problems that we saw with the story, but overall, um, we still really enjoyed the movie. Um, yeah, so... That's about as basic as it gets, and uh, I am still looking into going forward with some new podcast ideas, uh, possibilities, uh, trying to kind of balance the life out right now, because uh, I am, I play auntie, and it's a very much a village taking care of a child kind of thing, so my time is getting a little stretched out, but um, uh, you'll hear um, at the end of the episode me talking about uh, possibly being at... Emerald City Comic Con, which is March 2nd through 5th in Seattle, Washington. Uh, I mentioned at the end of that episode, because I hadn't heard back yet, whether or not I was going to actually be on a panel. Turns out I will be. Uh, so more details will come uh, uh, about that as it gets closer to the day. Just know that I am going to be on a panel at Emerald City Comic Con, and I'm pretty psyched about it and super nervous. So if you happen to live in the Seattle area and want to go and see me possibly make a complete idiot out of myself in front of a, maybe a lot of people, uh, I will be there and roaming around as well. So do that. And uh, what you should do now, though, is listen to this episode, which is all about Star Wars... No, not Star Wars. We're going to reverse that one. It's all about Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Basically, because uh, this is the f- this is going to be the first podcast of 2017 for that girl curls. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna just start it off with some Star Wars because I feel like that's uh, that's something that's uh, a good way to bring in the new year of setting the world on fire, probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and it's it's Star Wars. Who doesn't, yeah. who doesn't want to talk about Star Wars? I know, right? And there's just really so much to talk about too, and it's kind of exciting I, to be happy I to just talk about Star on my Wars. New team. Never seen Star Wars, and I almost, I almost quit. Like, like, you're like, what? (laughs) Like, they've never seen any of them. Like, not one of them. Any of them? Wow, not a single solitary one. And then I asked, I asked the pivotal question. I was like, but have you seen? mm, Have you seen a lot of the Star Trek? And she went, yeah. Mm. And I was like, aha, you're a Trekkie. I see. (laughs) <laughs> and then I like just turned and walked away. <laughs> I was like, I was like, have you seen the Star Trek? Like, do you know of the Trek? 
She's like, oh, you're all high and mighty about it. And I was like, no, not really. I, I like Star Trek, too. I like Star Wars more, though. Cause, yeah. Well, Star Wars. <laughs> See, I, I go back and forth on them. Like, I, I was actually asked... I. I think it was uh, with my friend Nathan. He did one of those, like, five-question kind of things. And it was like, Star Wars or Star Trek? Yeah. It's like, I can't really... Like, I don't favor one or the over the other, really. I like both of them for different reasons. Um, yeah. So, but right like, now... if I want a spacey political drama, I want Star Trek. <laughs> if I want lightsabers and space magic, <laughs> I want Star Wars. So if I want pew, 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 oh, God, oh, no, then I want Star Wars. And... Right. <laughs> oh, and, and I know that it's completely possible for someone to go their whole life at this day and age without seeing Star Wars, but it's like, it feels like it's so ubiquitous now to the oh, point where it's like, why? how do you not know? I know. I mean, how? <laughs> were, you, no were you raised in a cave? Is that it? Are you a cave baby? You're a cave baby. Okay. That makes me feel better. <laughs> uh, but no, we're, we're actually here to talk about Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Um, which is just an awkward title, but whatever. Um, so yeah, uh, this was, what, directed by Gareth, e- Gareth Edwards? Is that right? Correct. Okay, good. <laughs> and I don't remember who wrote it, so I'm sorry. Uh, but it is basically a, a kind of a bridging movie between episode three and episode four, which is the story of how the plans for the first Death Star were acquired. Because um, as we know, in, in A New Hope, the entire impetus for the story begins with Princess Leia giving the uh, plans to R2-D2, who then lands on Tatooine, and through circumstances, Death Star gets blown up again. <laughs> so... Um, but in, in this story, what we have is, uh, oh, what would you say? It's, it's daddy issues sprinkled over, uh, a rebellion. <laughs> yeah. Um, as we, yeah, it's basically, uh, the, our, our, I guess our main character, Jin Urso, who's played by Felicity Jones, is, uh, recruited by the rebellion that has not quite united over everything. They're still kind of... Not so much ramshackle, but they can't really agree on what they're doing yet. Like, they're really not certain how this rebellion's going quite quite yet. But she's recruited by the, the rebellion to uh, go to the planet Jetta to talk to an old family friend who saved her when she was a child uh, about getting a, um, a message that was given to him by her father, who is in fact the architect of the uh, the Death Star. Uh would would you say that that about sums up kind of the overall plot? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, and along the way, she's joined by a cavalcade of interesting characters who help her in uh, in not only getting to to Jeddah, uh, but also getting the uh, the plans, and then finding her father, and then actually getting the plans from the uh, was it the uh, Imperial Archives on Scarif. So so we there's a lot going on here. Uh, sort of. Uh, but we're going to talk about all the, the good stuff first. I want to get into all the good things, because there's a lot of good things to to talk about in this one, definitely. So, James, uh, what what was your overall impression of the movie? So, I mean, for me, the overall impression I had, because uh, I've only watched it once, and mm. I, I know, I wanted to watch it, like, way more than that. <laughs> um, but it's Christmas and 
people want mm. things, and so I yeah. just had no money. Um, but it was one of those, like, I mean, I paid a lot of attention to it, and I think the biggest thing I liked about the movie um, is exactly, like, the story. Like, in terms of, like, an original story outside of, like, direct contact with the Skywalker box that everything else is in... <laughs> This is one of the best stories. I mean, it's kind of one of the only stories right now mm-hmm. um, that we've gotten to witness. Um, I I think it was really well told. Um, I think uh, Chris White's Tony Gilroy, who wrote this, uh, co-wrote the script, uh, the screenplay um, story, was by John Nolan, Gary Whitta. Um, hmm. I think they all contributed a lot of really great things uh, to this idea. I think der- uh, the director uh, Gareth. Um, I think he had a really great, like, he had a lot of really great ideas in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of homage to fans of Star Wars. Like, there were a lot of little Easter eggs that were super, super easy to miss, like, if you just weren't paying attention. Mm-hmm. Um, like, the fact that, like, there was the, the, the space chess, but it wasn't, like, a hologram chess, like what we saw on the Millennium Falcon. Mm-hmm. This was actually, like, wooden figures that were being played on a table. Um, so there were a lot of, like, little, little things that uh, spoke to all of that stuff. Um, so I really enjoyed it, um, for all of those aspects. Um, I thought character wise, all the characters were super, super unique in their own way. And I thought that was something that was super important to the series. I mean, we always have seen, um, the characters we know and love from the Skywalker universe with having, you know, our Han Solo and having, um, you know, our Luke, um, one of the pits we kind of fell into with The Force Awakens was really, um, uh, what's her name, Ray? Yeah. Like, her character is very similar, very, very similar in a lot of ways to young Luke Skywalker. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, there were a lot of characters that had a lot of similarities to, to, to themes and characters we had already seen before, and I felt like a lot of the characters that were here were all very unique in their own way. Um, I my, my second largest bromance next to Urban uh, Carl Urban is uh, Donnie Yen, and by far he was the best written character. Oh my I think god! In the entire movie, um, like he was the glue that held everything um, really together in a lot of unique ways. Um, so those those were some of the things like I really heralded for the movie that I enjoyed. No, and and I totally agree with you. Like the I I. You know, I enjoy this movie a lot, and, and like you, I only saw it one time, just because with the holidays and everything, it was really, it's just been kind of difficult to get out, and with the, the, the new baby in our family and everything, it's kind of like, you know, it's a little tougher, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, when, you know, watching this and, you know, this this story, yeah, is pretty much uh, sans Skywalkers, except for the, you know, the cameos by... Uh, Darth Vader and uh, Princess Leia towards the towards the end because you know well spoiler alert if you didn't already know we're gonna be talking about everything in this damn movie so um, but yeah it's a it's a my friend Rachel and I were talking about this because she had seen it before I did but she was talking about how um, this movie very much puts you know makes sure that you understand this is a war. Like, there's the star part, and there's, like, this mythological thing that's happening with the the bigger, like, main canon story. Um, But Rogue One is kind of the, you know, really one of our first, in terms of, like, the movies, to being a, like, okay, we're gonna tell, it's it's essentially trying to tell you a war story um, from the people who are usually on the ground. 
Um, and especially in the, the climax on Scarif as they're trying to get the plans, um, I feel like that's where it really uh, clicked for me. Them was especially when you have like the adats coming in through the smoke and everything, and the, all the gunfire everywhere, and, and they really like Gareth Edwards really filmed it like a war movie when when he needed to and when it was necessary, um, and he was also very good at keeping those um, really like you know quote cinematic sh- you know shots unquote. Uh, so I think he did a really good job of balancing those two aspects of of, of the movie. Um, because certainly when George Lucas was in charge, it was all, hey, here's this really cool cinematic shot, and let's just have no substance behind anything else. Cool. Um, and then J.J. Abrams is uh, a lot a lot more... Um, he's a lot more stunt-heavy, which I enjoy, and also... But he's also really good at crafting beautiful shots, but it's always usually, like, really beautiful. Um, he's not as big on the, like, nitty-gritty stuff. Uh, so it was really kind of nice to see another filmmaking perspective uh, for Star Wars, and and again, yeah, the characters Donnie Yen uh, was amazing. Like he, the minute he starts talking, you're like, I love you already. I don't even know what you're going to do in this movie, <laughs> but I think I already love you. <laughs> so, um, and even like um, Alan Tudyk as uh, as what K two S O. There we go. Yeah, like. I mean, it didn't take much for him to have to, like, win you over, because, first of all, Alan Tudyk is just a really good actor, but just, like, the hand motions of this robot, like, you could just see, like, how, when he's telling him, like, the odds of, when he's telling, um, Cashin, uh, the odds of Jin shooting him with a blaster, and he's like, it's high. It's high. And just, like, his hand movements, I thought was, you know, like, those are the things that I was really paying attention to. <laughs> Um, so yeah, like, uh, you have all of these, like, really, um, interesting characters who are, are not typically what we've seen in Star Wars as of yet, um, within this movie that fits into a greater canon, but is also its own contained story. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's just so much here to actually really talk about. Um, so what, do you have, like, a favorite moment in the movie at all? Yeah, so it's actually something that, um, like, uh, I saw I saw a review um, that had been done, and I really enjoyed a lot of the review. And it was it was one scene in particular that, um, like, he pointed out um, really poignantly, and it's uh, the scene where they're they're all on the ship, and they're actually getting ready to go to the planet um, where uh, Jin's father is, mm-hmm. and so as they're on their way there. Um, Donnie Yen's character, um, and I, uh, I keep forgetting his damn name. Cheer it. Uh, yeah, so he he has this really poignant moment um, where he kind of, like, interconnects everything. Um, I mean, the overarching thing that he says is something that, like, I think to many fans, like, spoke to so many of us, especially um, in, like, a trying time and seeing, like, these characters interacting in a trying time where um, he's saying, you know, I am one with the Force and the Force is with me. Mm-hmm. Um, like, in that moment where where you see him having that absolute faith that he trusts in something so holy um, that that's what brings everything together for him. And mm-hmm. he kind of implements that, like, in a, in a scene on the boat where, like, you can see, like, everybody's kind of untrusting of each other um, outside of, like, his character. Like, 
um, you know, his his friend Baze is like he he's kind of a lost soul in in everything that he's gone through as far as like being a guardian to the to the Jedi Temple and everything. Like he's kind of lost his way a little bit, but mm-hmm. he's still like very close um, to Chiri. Um, and then they're they're basically married. I mean, yeah, yeah, I they're mean, all, all but married. Other, yeah, and all of these other characters. I mean, you have K2SO the whole time telling the odds of things and, like, how likely it is that they're going to fail at anything that they're doing. Um, you know, Cassian being this really shady character to start with. Like, he's one of the, like, he was one of those characters I was like, from the get-go, I was like, I don't like this guy. <laughs> I don't have a problem with the actor. I just don't like this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, because there was just something about him, like, like his own mistrust kind of, like, put this shadow over him. Um and Jin has a hard time, like, dressing everybody. So it's that whole scene where they're just all on this boat together. Um, and Don Yen has that moment where he kind of tells them, like, you have, you know, we have we have to trust in each other. We have to trust in the Force. We have to believe in it um, if we are to succeed kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So that, that was, like, the one moment in that movie that I was just like, this, this is the whole thing. I don't <laughs> care about anything else. That and, like, watching him, like beat the crap out of a bunch of stormtroopers oh without God. any force powers or laser swords or blasters like just a staff and a blind guy oh. beating the hell out of some people i mean and it's so good like because i mean when when they get on jetta and they're walking around he can kind of sense the kyber crystal that Jin wears because her uh apparently in the the, the script at one point Je- uh Jin's mother was supposed to be a jedi um, and that's how she got the kyber crystal or whatever, but they don't bring it up because, you know, it's, let's kill off the mother immediately. <laughs> so, right. She must die. Yes. Somebody's got to die in this. I mean, if, if not everyone, which we'll get to in, in a bit. But no, when, uh, when, when you first meet Chirrut and Baze, um, the, you know, hetero life mates or a really subtly married couple that, uh, the internet wants them to be, which... Whatever, I'm cool. They practically sounded like a married couple, so right. <laughs> that would have been awesome. Uh, but when you see the two of them, and he just senses the necklace, and you just kind of you don't know what he's about yet. I mean, anyone who's seen Donnie Yen in any kind of a movie kind of knows he's there for a purpose. You know, you don't put Donnie Yen in a movie to not do martial arts at some point, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm- Donnie, Donnie, we want you to be in our Star Wars movie, but we don't want you to do any action. You're just you're just gonna be there, and he's that like, sound. Uh, <laughs> "That sounds weird, <laughs> but I'll do it." <laughs> that would be interesting if, like, they filmed all of these like huge, elaborate martial arts scenes and then just never used them. <laughs> like, right. We told him they're like in the room, like we told him he was gonna get a scene like that. We filmed it even, and then we didn't put it in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the ultimate, like why, why? <laughs> it seems so unnecessary. Um, but that, yeah, so that brief meeting, and then when, uh, when Jin and, uh, Cashin and, uh, and the, and the robot are in trouble, they just kind of step in and suddenly it's like, bam, 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 and down. Everyone's down. <laughs> right. Except Chirrut. He's just like, oh, hey, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I did love it when, um, cause they're, they're on Jetta to go see Saw Gerrera, who is played by Forrest Whitaker. Uh, I love it when Saw's men uh, put the uh, the bag over his head, and he's like, "Are you kidding me? <laughs> like, or are you serious?" <laughs> That's probably the biggest laugh I had. <laughs> well, when they did, they had so, like that was one of the things I think I enjoyed in the script is there were like these little moments of like just perfectly like timed comedy 
in the script. And mm-hmm. they were they were small, they were brief, like they didn't let it distract from anything, but they were definitely like laughable moments to like ease brief moments of tension mm-hmm. from the movie. Exactly. Yeah, and that's that's one of the things that I've been enjoying more about Star Wars, like because the prequels were so bereft of any kind of actual humor or joy at times. Uh, what I've what I've loved about Force Awakens and also with Rogue One is that even with you know those serious aspects, they've managed to like balance out with some levity, which the original Star Wars were about as well. It wasn't just it wasn't just like you know laser swords and guns and oh god the universe is in danger. It was oh hey we've got uh, a little green puppet dude who's gonna start spouting wisdom and it's, it's you know <laughs> it's kind of funny that way. Um, so yeah, the, I I guess for, for me, if, if, you know, if I ask you, I, I suppose I should put mine out there too, because other than the, the ADATs, um, coming, and do you, James, do you say ADAT, or are you one of those people's like, it's only A-T-A-T? I, you know, I, like, I had a brief discussion with my wife the other night, where I was just like, I don't, because I, I made the mistake of buying her a Star Wars Trivial Pursuit game for Christmas, and I'm never gonna get to do anything else forever. Um, so, uh, like, she was going through it, and, like, she was just like, what was the machine? And I was just like, I, I don't know, I can't get any of them right. Okay. It's the big thing with the legs, I don't know. <laughs> so, That's what it says on the back here, big thing with the legs. Okay, because I know that I know Star Wars fans who are like really particular. Like, if you call it an at at versus an at at, and it's just like, I guys, I don't care that much. I just call it that because that's the first time I ever heard what it was called. So, (laughs) it's a a giant machine with robot legs. Yeah, whatever. Whatever. (laughs) All terrain, all terrain. Here you go. Um, But yeah, so other than the at ats coming uh, through the smoke uh, on on Scarif, I actually really uh love the moment when actually when they use the death star for that first time to blow up Jetta. um because it's really that moment where everything starts where, where everyone in the movie starts going oh shit oh shit like this is for real yo <laughs> so. hey hey everybody shit just got real oh my god shit. Just got real. Oh my god! <laughs> but it's and and I think that they framed it well, like where the usage of the Death Star, and because um, most Star Wars fans know that in A New Hope they use it the first time to destroy Alderaan, like that's the first time they've actually blown up a planet, and it's to make a point. So it's interesting to see them still using the Death Star but for a, a much smaller purpose, but still a much bigger purpose. Like, just to not only give the audience, but also the characters a moment to go, like, oh my god, like, it's not just a planet destroyer, like what we saw in the previous movies. It's it's something that is the essentially a nuclear weapon. Um, and that's how they frame it. I mean, you can even see it with, like, the mushroom cloud that forms after uh, Jeddah is destroyed. Um and it's also poignant because it's the the last standing um, Jedi temple, like one of the the original temple or something like that. So not only is it a display of power, it's also a, a display of power that's crushing the religion um, of a lot of people out there in the universe somewhere, or at least um, symbolically destroying something, if not literally. So um, I thought that was a, a really interesting, and um, I think that was probably my the most profound moment for me watching that 
um, until towards the end when, you know, everyone done died. So, <laughs> but the, yeah, there's a whole, there's a whole lot there. Um, so I, I want to get into the cast a little bit because what's really important too about this movie is that you, your ragtag group of rebels is made up of, uh, mostly people of color. Uh, Jin is the only white woman. And I don't know if you want to count the robot, but Alan Tudyk is a white dude, but, (laughs) (laughs) but everyone else, we have Diego Luna playing Cashin, uh, Donnie Yen and, uh, as Chirrut, Wen Jang as Baze, and then, uh, Riz Ahmed as, uh, Bodhi Rook. So, uh, you know, out of your five man band, four of them are all people of color, which really is probably the most people of color we've seen in a Star Wars franchise. (laughs) Like all grouped together, um, and and I think someone was pointing it out. I don't know if it was in a conversation I was having or if it was um, in a review, but it, that it's it is this uh, group of uh, uh, people of color going up against um, a greater imperial force that is mostly composed of of um, white people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, and bringing down their their empire. So it's like. Uh, if you wanted a really good metaphor for how the next four years is going to go, um, that would be Rogue One. <laughs> uh, so, aside from Donnie Yen, which we know how much you love him already, uh, what what did you think of the rest of the cast, James? So, I thought the rest of the cast was fantastic. I really appreciated the fact that it was like such a variety in terms of people of color. Um, I mean, we had Diego Luna. Like, and I know, like, there were some people who were just like, yeah, but he had, like, the accent. Why would he have the accent? Like, I, like, shut up. Because people have accents. Like, no, I heard, okay, I heard this on another podcast where someone was complaining about Diego Luna's um, accent. It's like, you can still understand him. You're, I mean, I, I don't understand people who are like, I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. Like, one accent, one accent. Like, no one civilization has one accent. And if we're talking about a vast universe of human, you know, colonies and empires and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and, like, there's aliens who speak other languages, like, in that universe. Like, just get over yourself. But, I mean, I thought Diego Luna was great. Um, I thought um, Riz Ahmed as uh, Bodhi uh, was really good. Um, Bodhi was kind of like, I feel like he's kind of an undermined character in terms of, like, people, I don't think people, like, saw, like, a lot of levity from him. Like, it felt like his role was really small. Mm -hmm. Um, and not at all. Like, I mean, uh, I, you know, uh, Forrest Whitaker, I had no idea. Like, I, and I don't know if I just didn't pay attention to any previews or what. I had no idea Forrest Whitaker was in the movie until I saw Forrest Whitaker. And I was like, oh, it's Forrest Whitaker. How about that? Hey. Um, <laughs> Welcome to the movie. <laughs> um, I've seen uh, Wen Jiang, who played uh, Baze. Uh, I've seen him in a couple of other movies because I'm really big into, like, kung fu action flicks um and and some foreign cinema that comes out of like china and everything so mm-hmm. like seeing him uh in a, in a couple of other roles and then seeing him as Baze uh was really great with that huge um, fucking gun of his like it's just like gatling like you're like yes i know i well that was the best part of it is like it was it wasn't like any like we've seen we've all as fans seen 
an array of different types of blasters. I mean, we've seen troopers in um, The Force Awakens use, like, more fully automatic, like, heavy artillery, like, uh, mm-hmm. lasers and stuff. But, like, it still all seemed very much the same. Like, there wasn't a lot of variety and, like, pew, 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 pew. Like, yeah. It was minorly heavier, but that was it. But then, yeah, like, Bay steps in, and, like, he has, like, this weird heavy assault. I don't even know what gun. And, like, they really made it sound like it was this just monster of, of a weapon. Yeah. Um, they really fit with the character, because, like, he had uh, armor that, like, even some fans have been like, is he, was he ever, like, was he maybe Mandalorian? Because his armor looks kind of Mandalorian. <laughs> um, so, I mean, there was just so much in, in, in the cast and the variety. Um, I think they picked everybody really well. Um, I thought Alan Tudyk is um, lending that, that comedy, um, and yet, like, a cynicism um, to K2SO uh, was fantastic. Um, a lot of these actors are people I had never really heard of until this movie. Um, so I was really appreciative of, like, the casting um, for digging up, like, uh, this this very, very, like, people of color cast and everything. Um, for a lot of names that are either people who primarily are known in um, independent film, mm-hmm. um, but not really, like, on the main screen so much at this point. I think this this movie did a lot to, like, get their names out there. And, and I think that, that's, that that was also a good choice because um, what what people sometimes uh, don't understand is that if you get, like, bigger-name actors to play characters like this, we don't see the character. We, we oftentimes tend to see the named actor, um, uh-huh. which is, I think, sometimes with superhero movies, that's... Uh, sometimes that is where the casting goes really wrong like um i really don't you know it's it's hard for me not to just see will smith in a role you know i I never believe it's a different character it's just will smith you know right um whereas i mean i do know who diego luna is i do know who donnie yen is and whatnot and you know uh, there are a lot of people in this cast that i know but they're also much more well-known character actors they are not like they they aren't people who have like led big big tentpole films you know per se, um, so there's a lot more room for you to get lost in the in the idea of the character first, um, and what's really been kind of coming out of of this movie too is that we we're getting there's been a lot more stories of people of color uh, seeing themselves in it, which is again. Um, the the one thing about people of color and and women of color and women especially like what happens is uh we tend to not tend to we have to end up identifying with someone who is not like us because we never very rarely see ourselves in a lot of things um so what uh, there was a story that diego luna posted um that was just like making everybody cry reading it because it's it's uh, a guy takes his father to go see uh, Rogue One, and you have Diego Luna, who did not change his accent. He kept it as thick as it is because, you know, that's who he is. And his father, who is Mexican, uh, was just like, he, he's using his accent? Like, you know, he's, you know and he just was thrown by this. And then suddenly it gets him talking about, like, other Mexican actors and, you know, other people. And, like, once you see yourself represented, it, it changes a whole lot of things for people. Because then they start thinking of themselves in that situation. They're like, oh, my God, like, this person, this person, that person, you know, we can be this and that and the other thing or whatever. So if you want proof of representation matters this movie, like, this movie has been doing, like, wonders for a lot of people, um, who have rarely seen themselves represented in film, and especially in this type of film, you know? Uh-huh. Sci-fi tends to go 
weirdly white and British all the time. (laughs) (laughs) True. It's so true. It's kind of frustrating. I can see that. I understand that. Like, like we know British do evil really well. Mm. We got it. We know that. But so do so many other people. Yeah. (laughs) It's like evil people, good people, we all exist on the spectrum. It's like, come (laughs) on, guys, let's, let's, let's switch it up a bit. Um, but you bring up a, a, a good point too. We have the villains. We need to talk about the uh, the dark side, the 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 empire, uh, because we have Ben Mendelsohn uh, playing uh, Orson Krennic, uh, and then technically Mads what Mickelson? Yeah, yep. Mads Mickelson playing uh, uh, Galen Erso, uh, who's not technically bad, but he's working with the Empire because, you know, he has to save everyone else by working with them, and what will he sacrifice? And, oh my god. Right. Um, and then we also have the return of uh, Grand Moff Tarkin. Yep. Um, Which, uh, the mocap was done by Guy Henry, mm-hmm. um, who, who is, like, a legit actor. Like, he's done a few things, but, again, they're very, like, he does a lot of TV stuff. It looks like a lot of, like, uh, like British drama. Yes. Um, and all that kind of business. But he did all the mocap, and the funny thing is, is, like, he has a face, albeit very much younger than um, the original actor, mm-hmm. but he has a face that's very similar. So I could see why they used him for, um, like, CGI components and everything yeah. to bring uh, Tarkin back. Definitely. I mean, it's... And I know a lot of people were kind of taken out of the movie by the the use of CGI characters, uh, especially for Grand Moff Tarkin and then eventually towards the end for young Princess Leia. Um, but I, I don't know. It didn't it didn't bother me as much just because it's like I know that that character has to exist here. Um, I mean, it's possible you could have gotten someone else to be in that role, like not not necessarily have it be Grand Moff Tarkin but you could have had someone else, but then it's like, well, wasn't Tarkin in charge of that program to begin with, so why wouldn't he be there? Um, so it was kind of, it feels like kind of a catch-22 if they included him or if they didn't. Um, I don't know, how, how did you feel about CGI Grand Moff Tarkin? So, I mean, for me, like, CGI Tarkin wasn't that bad. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I know a lot of people did, like, make a big deal. It was actually one of the, like, for the longest time, I think, one of the number one complaints about the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and and for me, like it was one of those where Tarkin had a certain amount of levity um, in in how he stood over Krennic, mm-hmm. um, and I felt like they definitely made that like important, especially in like Krennic's struggle as a character because he's obviously like kind of in charge of this big big project. Like this is this is this is his magnum opus. Yeah. Like, this is what's going to, like, seal the deal for him in the Empire and and write him into history. Like, that's how he sees it. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, like, Tarkin is that, that looming shadow over him that really is, like, there to, you know, take away his fun. <laughs> like, I'm gonna take your joy because I'm an evil bastard. Like, that's just, that is what I do. Mm. Um, and I mean, and it led well into, like, how we see Tarkin represented in A New Hope, like, um, as far as, like, um, his relation to, uh, Darth Vader, um, the fact that, like, he doesn't really back down to Vader, like, he knows, like, who Vader is, he knows, like, who Vader takes orders from, but at the end of the day, he knows where he stands in the Empire as well, Mm -hmm. um, so the fact that, like, we still see that through the character, like, even, you know, as a CGI character, um, I thought it was perfectly fine, um, I mean, yeah, there were 
scenes where, like, yeah, obviously it's noticeable it's CGI because we all know um, that, you know, that he's dead. Yeah. So it's like, well, what are you going to do? Um, on the equal side, like, uh, people, like, kind of complaining about Leia. Um, sure, yeah. I mean, they found an actress who, again, did the mocap. Like, she, she was the body. Um, and they ultimately used her face um, to CGI for Leia. So she still had a very similar face outlay. But, like, realistically, the thing is, is like, if they had put her in there and been like, it's Princess Leia just before her ship gets boarded in A New Hope, we all would have known it. Like, and people would have complained about that. So it's... It, like yeah. you said, it's kind of a catch-22. Like, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Um, I'm one of those people who's like, hey, suffer with the result and just be happy. Like, it's not like it didn't work. Like, mm-hmm. you just didn't like a visual representation. Exactly. And it's also, uh, because if they had chosen to go the route of, you know, okay, we only see them from behind kind of thing, you know, they could have just used, like, reflections to kind of see their face so it's more obscured and it's not as, like obvious, but even if they had done that, they would have probably gotten, like, uh, rid- ribbed for that as well. Be like, why, if you're, you know, if you were so confident in the CGI, why didn't you show them? And blah, blah, blah. It's just like, you know what? You're just not gonna be happy. Why don't you <laughs> shut up? <laughs> like, it's just not gonna work for you, is it? So. Right. Why don't you just let the rest of us have some fun and enjoy this Star Wars movie? So. Yeah, you know what? Pack your toys. Go home. Mm-hmm. The rest of us are here to play. Yeah. It's like, I brought my grandma Tarkin doll, and he's gonna make some really, like, shitty decisions over here, and then Krennic's gonna get his comeuppance, and then we're all gonna go home and have fun. <laughs> so. Right. Right. Uh, okay, so, yeah, we have, uh, and then also we have Darth Vader, who, uh, they finally, like, once again made super badass and, you know, scary again. You know, it's it's so interesting how how much the prequels have affected how we're, how we look at these characters now. Uh, right. Because is it really, can anyone really take Darth Vader seriously after watching the prequels? I mean, really? <laughs> right. Like in any, and, well, and that's the thing is like, and I think that's one of the representations we got like out of Kylo Ren, like, and I think he was like the visual representation of how after seeing the prequels, people kind of saw Vader in a sense was like, there were some people who were like, he's, I feel like he's just a big tantrum-throwing, like, ninny. Mm-hmm. Like, he's just so upset <laughs> that he just, you know, like, he's just, he's just, why? Why can't it be my way? <laughs> so, so, yeah, like, I, I agree completely, I think. And it's actually something, like, again, there are a couple of complaints about, like, seeing uh, when we first see Vader just before, like, we see Vader in his suit, right? We see mm-hmm. the whole, like, back-to-tank yeah. um, that Vader happens to be in. Um and somebody actually explained that, um, like, from, from the film crew, as far as, like, why the director went that route. And what it was was, like, the very first introduction a lot of us had um, to seeing Vader under the mask is a simple shot that happens in the original movies mm-hmm. where it's a behind shot. So all we see is the back of Vader's head, and we can see it's, like, scarred and, like, great skin. Like, this mm-hmm. guy is super messed up. Yeah. But we don't actually see his face, right? Like, the helmet comes down, and then and then we it's the Vader we know. Yeah. And so that's what he was going for in this shot, is he was just like, I wanted to, again, like, show, like, this marred and scarred, like, tortured, like, physically individual, um, and just 
give that brief glimpse of him to again like make him terrifying and i was like job done like yeah. you succeeded like i think that was a hundred percent spot on no it's it's a great like again it's like these these places where uh gareth edwards is kind of peppering in these homages to the to the the previous films and like and that's you know, he goes for a much fuller on like uh like you know f- uh perspective of like okay front and center here but it's still obscured enough where you're still just seeing enough of the body to be like, holy, like, look at what happened to him. <laughs> right. And the fact well, that he has a castle on the planet where he was basically maimed beyond all reason. Right. Well, and even, like, the fact that, like, so, I mean, right after we get past that scene, his dialogue with Krennic, um, Krennic gets to a point where he, he he's almost incredulous about his aspirations like like this is what i want and how dare you kind of thing mm-hmm. and outside of the terrible pun that's about the only problem i had with this scene but i'm not a pun guy mm-hmm. um but like we still saw that invader where like it was it was very similar to again one of the first moments where we really hear from vader in a new hope where he's in the conference room with all of these other like generals and lieutenants and everything mm-hmm. and like one of them challenges him um, and and there's that that moment of like we know like this guy's a badass yeah. because he he just doesn't have it like you know it's like oh you're space magic mumbo jumbo <laughs> and the next thing you know the guy's choking on his own air from an unseen force kind of thing and so like I felt like they did that really well again implementing that homage to a new hope where Vader very similarly does the same thing here telling him like don't choke on your aspirations buddy boy yeah like I run the show here. Exactly. Well, and and yeah, and then later on when he has that, uh, uh, was it the the interior um, where he's advancing on the soldiers and everything, and you get to see. I mean, because what we're supposed to to understand is that Anakin is a skilled fighter. He was like one of the great Jedi's and everything, and so seeing him using the Force to you know help aid him in you know taking down these soldiers and everything. And even just right before that happens, when it's like the smoke and everything, and all you hear is the. And then the red lightsaber, like, just those things are really, like, I feel like they did a really great job of, once again, building up the the mythological Darth Vader. Um, right. In, in using, in utilizing him where they did. So, it's like, good for you guys, you, you made him Darth Vader again, well done. <laughs> yeah, well, and I mean, a lot of people, like, when they initially saw Vader, like, in the suit, there were, there were, like, I, and I, I know a couple of people who even mentioned, they're like, um, like, the collar was weird, like, it wasn't like in the old movies, like, the collar was actually, like, over, like, the chest instead of, like, kind of under, yeah. um, and there were, like, some soft changes to the costume, and I think the biggest reason they did that, for, like, anybody who doesn't understand how, um, movement in any kind of gear works, um, honestly, like, yes, this character is mostly robot now, mm. um, very little of him is still, like, human at this point kind of thing, um, but when you're moving in a suit, as far as the actor goes, and you're supposed to be a badass, mm-hmm. it's really damn hard to do anything. And this was a problem they had in the original trilogy um, with the guy who was in the Vader costume, like, doing anything. A, he had a really hard time seeing through the mask itself. B, the suit was wicked heavy. Mm. Um, a ton of leather and, like, all this other stuff. So the guy was really weighted down. He had a hard time, like, moving quickly. <laughs> That's why if you look at old movies... Vader, like, he's a badass, but, like, his movements are very, like, ho, 
<laughs> slow. <laughs> I'm skilled. Like it's and so like everything's a little janky in the choreography, and it, it was only because of that movement. I think they actually lightened the costume a bit, and that's why you like there you saw those subtle changes mm-hmm. um, to make it so in that scene when we get towards you know where he, as you said, like he's walking down that corridor. And he is just slaying motherfuckers. Like, mm-hmm. it is nobody's business. Yeah. They did that to make that prominent. Like you said, like, this is Anakin Skywalker. He needs to be able to just cut motherfuckers down. Oh, like, yeah. it's not a big deal. It's like, yeah, because if, if you don't show that, then it's kind of like, well, then what's the purpose of Vader being here? I mean, you need, other than to be just kind of a glorified cameo, but in order to make him more of an active part going into the fourth movie, because that's what you want to do. You want to try to bridge these movies in, in ways that make sense. Um, so having him there and then in pursuit of Leia's ship because he was on Scarif or he was you know orbiting Scarif while all this was going down. And so why is he there where he's got to cut down these people? He's got, I mean, you need to show why all of these soldiers in the rebellion are, you know, freaking scared of this guy. You know, they don't even know that he's Anakin Skywalker. They just know that he's one, like, he's a dude you don't mess with because he cuts you down. <laughs> like, he's a Sith, you know, that kind of stuff. So, uh, I, I guess, kudos to the cast and crew for, uh, for for making that possible yet again. Um, although, I guess, I, do you watch Star Wars Rebels at all? Um, you know, I haven't yet. I really want to. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still trying to get through the Clone Wars. Ah. Like, yeah, if you, if you get into Rebels, like, towards the end of Season 2, uh, you know, Vader shows back up to uh, to have the last confrontation with Ahsoka. Uh, and it's, a, it's actually a really good battle. So I think also Rebels helped with that, you know, reinstating Vader's reputation kind of thing. Um, but actually tinged it with kind of the loss of Anakin. Um, like, Clone Wars has done much better in making the prequels make sense just by being its own thing. <laughs> right. Like, well, and that's what's made it easier for me to, like, like be able to accept the prequels in any kind of way is, mm-hmm. like, watching Clone Wars. Like, Clone Wars did a good job of making Anakin less whiny and emo. Hmm. Um, and figure. not just a mannequin. <laughs> <laughs> mannequin Skywalker. <laughs> um, like, I think they did that really well. Um, and so that's why I've enjoyed, like, going through Clone Wars and, like you said, getting, like, that backstory. Mm-hmm. Um, they actually do make um, a couple of references to Star Wars Rebels in Rogue One. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because they're basically with they're operating within a timeline where I think I think Rebels is supposed to be like currently is like a couple of years out from where Rogue One is. Um, oh. So they're operating in the same time period because uh, also Forrest Whitaker's character Saw Gerrera is going to be guesting. He's going to be on Rebels for a few episodes, and it's Forrest Whitaker voicing him. So the uh, uh, he's he's not as robotic, so he hasn't lost everything yet. Um, okay. So it'd be, I don't know if they're going to, like, if that's their way of bridging that, where they're going to be like, oh, let's see how Saw ended up more robot than man. Well, and I love I love the tie-in, ultimately, because that's the thing, like, for, I think a lot of us want as fans, is, like, we want, like, we, we all wanted this to be, like, a kickoff to an expanded universe, like mm-hmm. a real expanded universe, since, like, since they took everything that was, like, fan fiction and... Um, other written stories, and they made it into the legends uh, within Star Wars and everything. Like, all of us are really craving, like, this expanded universe. And I think Disney's doing a really great job of working with the LucasArts team um, to definitely expand this universe and make it 
more um, individual stories and things like that outside mm-hmm. of just the Skywalkers. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's, it's it's like with the Star Wars universe, I mean, as, also with, like, the Trek universe and you have, like, Harry Potter and all that, like, you have these franchises that have so much more potential to, like, expand. It doesn't have to be the core characters that we've known. There's actually room for other people to be introduced. I mean, they're gonna make, what, five Fantastic Beasts movies or something like that? Um, which, okay, whatever, but it, it's... <laughs> There, there. I, I, I still haven't seen the movie, so I can't really say. My sister saw it; she liked it, um, and we both have kind of the same opinion about the Harry Potter movie. So, whatever. Uh, but it's it's very similar with Star Wars. Like you can do. Um, I I I know that I think you and I talked about this one time, but there was rumor going around that there were th- they were thinking of doing a Star Wars movie that was much more of like a Seven Against Thebes kind of movie. Um, like a or a Magnificent Seven, however you want to do it, but which I thought was really interesting because you could set it whenever you want to. I mean, you could set it during the Old Republic if you wanted to, or kind of you know a little bit in the future where you just have a group of Jedi surrounded, and like what do they do? How do they get out of like why are they there? You know, you can you can take very basic stories and set them within a Star Wars universe, and you right. can make total bank off of just exploring it. Um, which is what they've been doing currently. Right. Well, and I felt like this movie did such a good job of exploring, um, like, even just the Republic in itself at this point, or not the Republic, sorry, the the, the Rebellion Mm -hmm. um, at this point, because all we know of the Rebellion, like, we see that the Rebellion in A New Hope, like, it is what it is. Like, it's it's a functioning group of people who are like, uh, hey, uh, we don't like the Empire, and we're going to fight against that. Um, which, you know, is in itself, like, its own message very similar to, like, trying times that are kind of in current events and things like that. Yeah. But this was very much like, um, or, or potentially the future of current events. Yeah. Um, this movie did such a great job of showing that the Rebellion was not, like, this cohesive, functioning force. Mm-hmm. During Rogue One, like, like as we saw, like before Rogue One actually becomes Rogue One, um, and they're going off to go get the plans, like we have this whole interjection where nobody's in agreement. Mm-hmm. Like there's all these leaders, and there's all these like, uh, and there's this like weird pecking order of people who are just like, well, I don't agree, and I think this is a terrible idea, and like, why would we take a chance? And you know, this is basically just over. Why are we even trying to fight back at this point? Yeah. So you can see it's this very broken, disjointed, and dysfunctional rebellion that's that's not even there. Um, and then there's that that pivotal moment um, where like they're like, all right, well, fine. Like Jin's like, fine, fuck it, I'll mm-hmm. go do it myself. Fine. And then like a few other people are like, hey, we'll go with you. And then it's all these other people who have suffered loss, who have bled, who have sweat and bled for this rebellion up to this point, and are unwilling to let a bunch of aristocrats make decisions after they've suffered so much loss and pain in this whole thing to go, we're going with you. Like, yeah. we believe in this and we're going with you. Um, and actually, like, and, ha- and see those events, like, bring that rebellion together as mm-hmm. that functioning unit. Yeah, it's it's because of Rogue One that the, you know, the rebel fleet really starts, like, kind of working in sync with each other, and, you know, they work together to make sure that those plans get off of Scarif, because what becomes very abundantly clear towards the end is that it's all about getting the plans off of the planet. Like, the people at this point, it's just kind of like, well... 
if if even one of them survives from the the main core of the cast of 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 the rogue of Rogue One, it was like they'd be lucky. But it once it becomes very clear that none of them are making it off the planet, <laughs> then it's like okay, get the plans off, get the plans off, and then just seeing the the rebels work together just for this one particular goal, um, and how it's all kind of like pushing towards a new hope but still kind of giving you kind of that um heart palpitations where you're like oh my god is anyone gonna make it off of this planet no <laughs> right <laughs> so yeah they they've just done they've they've done a really good job of kind of igniting that uh, again like what force awakens did like igniting that passion towards star wars and you know what can be accomplished when you tell stories that are within and, and outside of the of the, I guess what people would call the you know the the core canon of the of the movies. Um, so let's. Oh, okay. So we didn't really talk a lot about um, Mads Mikkelsen's character Galen Erso, because um, him and and yeah, him and him and Krennic have. It's it's interesting, kind of like the smaller stories that are kind of going on within it, but are not like the main story. Because um, they were clearly friends at one point, and then Galen got a conscience and <laughs> decided he didn't want to make the Death Star no more. And then Krennic went and brought him back, killed his you know killed his wife, brought him back, and then is basically like holding him hostage to work with him. Right. <laughs> um, and then is ultimately destroyed by his own uh, ambition. So. <laughs> uh, but what did uh, what did you think of Krennic actually? So, of Krennic? Yeah, let's let's start with Krennic because then we'll because okay. Gal, er, Galen Urso is actually gonna I feel like plays in more to some of the problems I have with this movie. So I think we'll get to him when we do that. So <laughs> yeah. Mm. Um. So um. I mean, Ben Mendelsohn um like did a fantastic job. I mean, he made this character really feel um again like. I didn't feel like the character itself was, like, a sinister character. Like, he was just, like, this big evil entity, like, we kind of see in Vader, or we kind of see in the Emperor. Um, Like, I said, like, he's just kind of this guy who's... He's trying to make his own name in history. Mm -hmm. Like, like, that's really what I felt from the character overall. Um, But he has a lot of obstacles. He has a lot of uh, uh, people that are kind of standing in the way. Um, And so, like, kind of as you said, like, we see, like, that smaller story of, like, obviously there was, like, some sort of history um, between him and Galen, and we don't really know much more about it um, other than, like, they used to work together Mm -hmm. and maybe were friendly with one another. (laughs) Yeah, they they had drinks together at one point. We know that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Through, you know, like, the crack of a door, we see. Uh, (laughs) But he, like, so I don't think, like, his goal is, is at all, like, anything that is over, overarchingly meddlesome or menacing, um, other than, like, stopping anybody from standing in his way. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we see that, like, towards the end of the movie in which, like, the plans have kind of been stolen, and he's really kind of just frantic and desperate to stop them, mm-hmm. um, because if, if those plans get out, like, his dream is over, like, it, like, that's it, everything's over, like, he's already kind of, um, managed to sideline past, uh, Tarkin, um, to continue things on, um, by kind of over, going over Tarkin's head to Vader and everything to say, hey, like, this is my shit, like, I did this, um, and so, like, he's, I think he's a sympathetic character in that aspect, 
is definitely a bad guy, like, in the mm-hmm. sense of him, like, willing to, like, step on anybody who gets in his way to make his dream come true. Yeah, it's it's definitely, it's an interesting, because he doesn't necessarily go, he doesn't go through a character arc. He just, he he gets to a point where he has a, it, it feels like with Krennic that he actually has a complete story in this movie, because it starts off with, you know, him trying to, he, he gets the person he needs to accomplish this goal for him. And then he is, uh, like, pushed down by Tarkin, who's, like, after he sees, like, oh, you've accomplished this? Well, guess what? I'm taking over it now, and the Emperor is just going to think it's all my idea, uh, kind of thing. And then gets it back, but then finds out that, you know, all these rebels are going after the plans for the, uh, the, the Death Star, which could also... Uh, ruin any chance that he has of, of getting favor with the emperor. Uh, and then when he tries to stop it, he is killed by the thing that he uh, he held most dear, basically. You know, the, the Death Star is his baby, is his way of you know moving up in the chain of command, basically. Uh, and then he is destroyed by it. So it's almost like he has the most perfect... Um, uh, story, if it, because it doesn't count as a character arc. He didn't learn anything. He just learned that he could get blowed up real good. Um, right. But it's it's a really interesting um, story that's told through him. Uh, so I I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that he actually got killed by his own weapon. Um, and and it's it, again it, it it ties into the whole idea like this is a contained story within a larger setting, you know. Uh, so with Krennic gone, it's like there's there's nothing we have to worry about in movies going forward or backward. Like these are just people that are existing in this particular moment. Um, so yeah, watching watching him kind of faceplant was was kind of was fun. <laughs> yeah, this was fun for me. I like watching people get hoisted by their own petard. <laughs> <laughs> um. So well, so that's a lot of really good stuff. Um. Do you do you feel like we've kind of, uh, we haven't talked about something that you want to talk about? Like, is there anything that we haven't mentioned that you feel should be? In terms uh, of the positives. In terms of what? In terms of positives. Hmm. When we, once we get into the negatives. <laughs> right, right. Um, um, no, I mean, like, like, I think, I think we've really hit a lot of things on, on, on the head. I mean, again, um, just like some of those smaller things, like the fact that we see Bail Organa, mm. um, you know, Jimmy Smith's reprise that role and like come back, um, like just briefly to be like, "Hey, I'm Bail Organa," yeah, and then kind of like fade into the back. Like, well, it's like, like, "Hey, that Jedi, you know? Okay, I'll send someone to get him." It's like, "Well, do you trust them?" <laughs> oh, I trust her. It's like he's talking about Leia. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so again, just those little nods and stuff like that, uh, were really great. The fact that we got to hear, uh, James Earl Jones reprise the role of like Darth Vader's voice, mm-hmm. um, was fantastic because I know in the past, like they haven't necessarily done that. Like they have, uh, like there's uh, been a couple moments, like they've used like voice modification and everything. Cause Hey, I can go buy a Darth Vader helmet and put it on my head and it makes me sound like Darth Vader. Right. So um, <laughs> it was really great to see that. Well, and it, but other also- than that, I think we really like hit a lot of it on the head. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and I think that with James Earl Jones, like, get as much out of him as you can, guys, because after, I mean, we probably should have mentioned this at the beginning, but after the, the death of uh, Carrie Fisher, um, it's just like, you know what? He's up there, too. Just have him record a bunch of lines. 
Right? That right? I don't care what it has to do with, just have him record a bunch of dialogue and then use it where he can because, you know, he's a he's a precious national treasure, James Earl yeah, Jones. Like, like, dude, like, to give perspective, dude was born in 1931. He's old. Yeah. Yeah, he's the same age as... <laughs> He was born in 31. Yeah, he's the same age as my grandfather. So he's <laughs> he's 80, he's like 84, 85. Something. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. You get him to record, like, have him read the full works of Shakespeare, if that helps you. Like, so you can just pick, you can pick words and then put them into sentences. Right. And then suddenly Darth Vader is doing Hamlet. So, uh, why not? <laughs> Um, but yeah, the, uh, I'll probably do this in the intro to the episode, but, you know, uh, R.I.P. Carrie Fisher, as well as Debbie Reynolds, which was just kind of a complete tragedy, I mean, especially for their family. So it's, uh, from that girl with the curls to, to the Fishers, uh, and, and family, we're sorry. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, for sure. We really loved her, so, um, and at, at the very least we get to see her again in episode eight, uh, no telling what they're going to try to pull for episode nine. So hopefully, not a full-on CGI prince. You know, General Organa. I don't. I don't know right. how people would feel about that. Probably not good. But anyway, yeah. yeah. <laughs> how about before we get into the the negatives? Let's. How about we just talk about the ending because the the ending is is very interesting in terms of how people have been reacting to it as well. Uh, and specifically we're talking about the, the destruction of Scarif because you have a mo- because as, as much as we're treating this like a war movie the casualties of war are always like a big uh, a big point to make and in terms of the cast of, of characters in Rogue One basically all of them are killed uh, not basically all of them are killed <laughs> on Scarif uh, trying to get the uh, the plans out of the uh, Imperial Archive up to one of the ships. And uh, just as a, as a little uh, promotional note, uh, I wrote an article about Star Wars and the Archives, which you can find at maniacalgeek.com. Ding! <laughs> Oddly enough, archives are used a lot in the Star Wars universe. Go figure. Uh, yeah. Uh, so it's the, the climax of the movie and everything, and then once the plans are safely gotten through the shield that's preventing them from, you know, uploading huge amounts of data, then Scarif is destroyed by the Death Star, and all the characters are wiped out who are on the ground, and we, the last we see of Jin and, um, Cashin, they're hugging each other as basically they're consumed by fire. Um, and some people have not taken kindly to that ending. Um, apparently it was much worse. Like, this is, that was part of the reshoots. <laughs> so, uh, James, what, what did you think of the ending? Like, how did, how do you think it was in comparison to, like, the tone of other Star Wars movies, I guess? Um, I mean, it was definitely, like, a much darker tone. Mm-hmm. Like, at the end of any given Star Wars movie, like, we kind of have that moment where, like, like, maybe shit didn't end great but like there's a glimpse of hope right mm-hmm. like we we have something to expect going forward um the ending didn't shock me in any way though mm-hmm. like i like i know some people have been like like really like nobody lived like not a single person are you <laughs> kidding me and i was like did, did you not pay attention to like any of the dialogue in the new hope where like they talk about the fact that like a lot of people died 
mm. a lot of people to get this information. Like, we kind of know, like, and in, in, in that, like, we should kind of just, like, I, I felt like people should have just kind of expected that ending. Like, um, I felt like it was poignant. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like it had this huge gravity to it in, in the fact that, like, there was a lot of sacrifice. But at the end of the day, there was a lot of resolution at the same time. Like, a lot of these characters um, kind of found their way by the end, mm-hmm. um, even though it was, like, their end. But <laughs> they found it. I mean, um, uh, Chariot didn't have... Like, there wasn't, there wasn't really any end for him as far as levity other than... He was still the same the whole way through. Like, he just trusted in the Force, and the Force would guide him. Mm-hmm. Like, that, that was his whole thing. <laughs> but his death is what, like, brought Baze back from this, like, dark place Baze had been where, like, he didn't have that trust in the Force anymore. And seeing his friend, like, make this sacrifice um, with having that absolute trust by the end brings him back to that point of, like, I do, I I do have faith in the force, mm-hmm. um, you know, and he starts saying the mantra and everything. So he kind of comes back from that. Um, even the other characters, like, I mean, we've seen, you know, we see Jin kind of make her peace with everything she went through with her father and kind of where this is all led. Um, we see, uh, uh, Cassian, you know, again, come to peace with like the decisions he's made. He's done a lot of very difficult things because it's war. Mm-hmm. Um, he's had to make hard choices that he didn't necessarily want to, but he was always the good soldier. Um, so we see that by the end, he comes to an acceptance of that levity and knowing like what he's doing now is truly for the greater good. And he didn't have to sacrifice anybody to make that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I think we saw that like even in just the troops themselves, like the people who joined them to fight with them, um, Again, we just see that final conflict resolution for everybody as far as, like, an acceptance of what they're doing is truly for this this purpose uh, that will serve a greater good, whether their lives end or not. Yeah. So I didn't have a problem with the ending. I thought um, it was a I, – I thought it was a beautiful cinematic shot, like, the whole, like – seeing that that nuclear wave so to speak like coming um and then the brightening of the screen and this obviously knowing like that this is the end so to speak so i was i don't know i was fine with it i don't understand so much of the upset with the way the way with the way that movie ended yeah and i think it just comes from i saw an article where they were talking about how star wars is supposed to be fun and that because the the ending i mean you still have the the hopefulness of because they're going right into a new hope basically after the when this where this movie cuts off, but right before that where it's in t- typically in movies like this at least one or two of them would have survived as as kind of like a you know it's like a symbolic look at you know it's a symbolic um, beacon of hope kind of thing, but in 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 terms of Star Wars, the beacon of hope is the plans. Like, what becomes the most important thing is making sure that the Death Star isn't, like, turned loose on the galaxy. Um, because when you when you look at A New Hope, like, that's, that's the whole story right there, really, is about just blowing up this big old thing so that they don't have this huge super weapon that could basically bring the galaxy to its knees. Um... And so it is about the greater good and that this story is kind of like the microcosm of the macrocosm kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, to use a lot of big words. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but uh, because while I agree that the um, 
the the main movies, the main canon is is a lot more along the lines of we can have a lot more fun with this. Uh, you know, it's a lot more again, like we've been talking about, like pew pew pew. Oh my god, are we getting? We're gonna get killed. Oh no, we got out of it. Yay, everyone's happy. Um, the I feel like the movies that surround the main canon don't have to adhere to that. Um, and I think Rogue One because it's it's getting it's almost at like one billion, you know, in terms of its box office sales. And I think that that's proving that that you can tell a story like this and not worry about alienating so many people. Um, that you can have a story that takes a lot darker of a turn towards the end, but still has kind of that measure of hope as it ties into the other movies um, right. without like everyone having to survive. Um, it's like. You know, if everyone survives, okay, then we have to figure out where they are somewhere else now. Like, why weren't they in this part, or why weren't they there? You know, that kind of thing. So, right. well, and I think it, it stretches like even further to there's not like in life. Like, I know we go to the movies as like an escapist kind of thing. Like, mm-hmm. we go to the movies to see something that is a fantasy. It's not real, and it allows us to escape for a couple of hours to another world where we don't have to deal with like what's happening here. But, like, I'm one, I don't know, I'm one of those people who, like, I can appreciate that there's not always a happy ending, mm-hmm. like, to, to, to any degree. Like, I love a series where, like, by the end of it, like, the main hero dies. Like, I can stand that, because, like, especially if, like, it's, like, the logical conclusion. It's like, no, he took five shots to the chest. <laughs> Nobody walks away from that. Realistically, nobody actually walks away from that. Except so, this I mean, guy. <laughs> Right. So, so again, that's why I was, I was very much okay with it. I was just like, Hey, if anybody's watched a new hope, we, we should all know how this ends. Like you should have gone into this movie knowing how this ends. Mm -hmm. It doesn't end good. It's not a happy ending for any of the people that were involved in it. The only happy ending is where we start at a new hope. And now the the, the, the rebellion has plans. They have a method mm-hmm. that they can utilize to try to bring peace to the galaxy. Yeah, they they have the means of destroying like their their big ass weapon, which can cripple you know whatever plans that they have going forward. Mm-hmm. Like it's the empire is is in power, but that power is also tenuous. You know, so destroying this big old gun of theirs is is basically a huge blow to them because now they don't have as you know, as big of a pull as they as they originally did. Um, right. Yeah, because when I was going in, I was like, I, I already knew someone was going to die. Like, you don't go into a movie like this without someone dying. I mean, that's, it's like, it's just a matter of numbers. Like, how many? I think what was more shocking to me was that everyone died. I mean, I, I kind of made the assumption that, oh, yeah, like, one or two of them will probably get, you know, will we'll live. So then when they all got mowed down, it was just kind of like, well, okay. I guess we're serious business here. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, because, yeah, I think a lot of movies would try to get at least one or two of them out of there. They would go that route because it's a safe route. Um, but I think the the writers and Gareth Edwards really understood. It's like, no, this is this is a war movie. And a lot of people die in wars. And especially in a galaxy far, far away, there's probably a lot of people that had to die. And we're going to show some of those people who died. And you're going to love some of those people who died, sort of. Um, and then they're going to die. And then you're going to be sad. <laughs> it's just the way of it. <laughs> right. Right. So, yeah. Um, I can understand some people's 
some people being upset with it, but yeah, if you didn't know people were going to die going into this, then what, what, I, I don't know what synopses or, or what books you've been reading lately, but this was a guaranteed almost total party kill. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So now that we've gotten the ending out of the way, which I feel has been covered and again, go to the archive or, or try to try to find a better way of storing your Death Star plans next time you're in the midst of an evil empire. Maybe not in one place the whole time. <laughs> um, but uh, let's let's start talking about some of the things that we had some problems with because I have a few and uh, I mean I, I assume that you probably had one or two at the very least, James. Yeah. 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 Um, so let's start with you. What was uh, what was one of your one of your issues with uh, Rogue One? Forrest Whitaker, I no. Um, <laughs> oh, poor man. No, no, no um, uh, like honestly though, like Sakurera was one of those characters I kind of had a problem with, and uh, like just as, as one, like a character I had a problem with. Mm-hmm. Um, and for whatever reason, like I think it was mostly like I had no way of really relating to the character. Like we mm-hmm. see him in such like a brief moment of anything like we see him as like the guy who kind of saves Jin, and then apparently at some point turned total dick and abandons her um and then only to find like later he's just like Jin, how are you doing and and she even kind of calls him out on it. she's like are you are you kidding me right now like mm-hmm. you left me and i was like trapped and i ended up in prison and like so how am i doing um i'm here and i need some answers yeah um so, I mean, uh, outside of that, I didn't really, uh, uh, kind of as you mentioned, like, uh, they're, like, Galen as a character was, like, I don't know, bad dad. Um, really, just, like, just not a good father <laughs> at all. It's just, a, um, it's just a universe full of terrible fathers, basically. Yeah, yeah, like, what the hell? Um, and so, overarchingly, like, I think there were a few things at the very beginning of the film that kind of caught me a little bit, where... Um, first off, we didn't have the very standard Star Wars scroll. Mm-hmm. Um, that intro scroll is kind of like this this very integrated like piece of this franchise. And I think they did it from a standpoint of like, well, we don't want this to feel like a standard piece of the franchise. Yeah. We want this to be its own unique thing. And boy, it definitely made it that way because it was very jolting to like suddenly just be like sitting there like end of the previews get the little movie intro at the theater, like, okay, here we go. Mm-hmm. And I'm waiting for the, bah, 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 <laughs> and like, and then it's just like, boom, straight to point. And I was like, oh, 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 we're like there now. Okay, cool. Um, Are you telling me I the story is this. starting? <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay. Like, this is like a normal movie. What? Mm. Um, past that, um, I did think a little bit of the pacing in the beginning of the movie, um, was kind of off. Um, mm-hmm. My favorite term, janky. Um, <laughs> I just felt like it was a little disjointed because it happened really, really quickly. Like we're we're you know opening on this one planet where we kind of meet Cassian, but we don't know it's like who he is. Like he meets this guy and he kind of like says a name, and then that guy uh, is like, "I gotta get out of here," and then he kills that guy, and then he escapes because the stormtroopers are coming for him, and we're like, "Oh, oh, okay." And then we jump to another planet, and like now we're talking about like. Jin, um, and it's just like, what the actual hell is happening? Like, I don't know where are we? Who's, I don't, okay, cool. I'll Who's that guy? 
<laughs> uh, hopefully this makes sense at some point. I mean, eventually it all, like, comes together, like, once we get all of the characters together, but that very first, like, 15 to 20 minutes in the movie was just really quick and kind of kind of disjointed and stumbling into itself. Mm-hmm. And I understand, like, maybe part of that was, like, we were trying to introduce characters very quickly so we could get on with the point. Yeah. Um, but it just did not feel like it was smoothly done in any way, shape, or form. No, it, yeah, it's it's one of the things, especially when you have an ensemble cast where you're, you're trying to introduce, you know, a lot of characters really quickly. Um, it really would have done them good to maybe just stick with one of them. I mean, because since Jin is ostensibly our main character, either stick with her and and slowly introduce everyone else, or I think what, one of my biggest you know gripes with the movie is that the characters don't actually go through um, very organic arcs. Like there's, it doesn't feel like they actually earn whatever you know those statements about like rebellions are built on hope. You know. They don't earn that kind of stuff. We're we're told a lot of things about Jin, but we very rarely see what kind of a person she really is. Um, someone made a really good point on Twitter. Like she's basically chauffeured to different places. Um, she's a means to an end, and every planet is another thing to get to another thing. Like it's it's really about like assembling a a, a box in order to get that little like a little square peg you know into it or something like that. It's uh, it's a lot of moving parts that don't necessarily have to be there. And and you bring up a good one, too, because with Saw's, um, Saw's little uh, joint where he's got the, the uh, brain sucker monster or whatever, uh, because that whole bit was completely unnecessary. Uh, most of the stuff that happens with Saw is unnecessary. Like, you could have eliminated him from the story and found a way to get Galen's message to Jin in a different way, and it would have still been the same story. I mean, right. the the only thing that you would need to do is get Jeddah destroyed, because I think the destruction of Jeddah is important, but getting Jin to Jeddah was just kind of... It just didn't make as much sense, or what... It, it, there had to be a different way. Like, it, I almost feel like Saw shouldn't have been, even been in the movie. Like, either... Jin should have been like the um, the extremist leader that they're going after, or something like that. Like, so because I've had a lot of time to think about this, <laughs> um, it almost would have made more sense if the rebellion gets word of not maybe not even the rebellion. So Bodhi leaves Galen, you know, he has the message and everything, lands on Jeddah, and that he's trying to get to Jin because you know Galen would probably be keeping tabs on his daughter, you know, however he could through whatever channels he could. And so he gets to Jin, he says, I have this message. Um, or Bodhi is captured by the rebels or something like that. In some way, like you have to eliminate one of these middlemen here because you have too many um, scenes of them going to another place that you really needed to kind of focus more on the characters. Um, Cause I don't, I don't necessarily believe Jin's, you know, quote unquote arc. Um, that she has, you know, by the time she has inspired people to join her in the Rogue One thing, I don't, I don't feel like that's earned, um, as much. Right. Uh, and then I also feel like Bodhi wasn't utilized in a way that, that, uh, that he should have been, because you go through this whole point of showing us a scene where he's like, you know, got a brain sucker on him, and then he just recovers, he's fine, you know? 
He's okay. He figured out he was the pilot. <laughs> He's okay. Um, it would have made... It would have been, like, way more interesting, I think, if he was still scatterbrained. And they were, like, the whole time they were just trying to get him to focus. Like, they're just trying to get him to focus. They're asking him questions. They're trying to get keep him um, from, like, going off the rails again. And then once you get to the point where Jin is trying to rally support behind going to get the, the plans on Scarif... It's, you know, they, they realize, well, they're going to need Bodhi because he knows how to get in and out of, you know, those, um, the Imperial you know, gates and whatnot, because he's got the call signs and the ship and everything. And so it's convincing him to go and being like, you know, I, I, you know, I believe you're part of this rebellion because, you know, you, you came to us, you know, those, something like that, where it's right. about convincing Bodhi and therefore convincing other people, like, what if Chirrut and Baze had been, like, Jin's, like, lieutenants within Saw's, you know, group or something like that? You needed to take out some of the introductions as well, because, again, you're dealing with a large cast, but you also have to find a way to make them organically fit together. And and I really feel like it suffers, uh, the character development suffers because they're trying to introduce everyone and then trying to get them to different places at different times when you could have cut down a lot of that. Yeah. It's I don't disagree. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, also, like, another thing that does bother me, and a lot of people have pointed this out, it's like, as much as the main, the core group is is mostly made up of people of color, there's a distinct lack of women in this movie, and there's also a distinct lack of women of color. Um, we, we, I think the the pilots that are going into Scarif, there's maybe like two women I see because they spend a lot of time getting that, uh, archival footage or uh, the old footage from a new hope or something like that and repurposing it. So you have like, Oh, it's red leader and blue leader and gold leader and all that kind of stuff, which, you know, fine. But you could have also like taken the time to introduce a few other like female pilots if possible. Like I know it, I know you had time. It was there. You had reshoots. Um, and then it's like, you have the, the one lady on the rebel council, the, the black lady who's, who's arguing with everyone else. And after that, it's really tough to see any more women or women of color in the background anywhere. Um, so that, that was kind of a, that was not kind of, it's a, it's kind of, it's a big kind of downgrade because in Force Awakens, you saw a lot of women around there. They they were, they were rebels, they were, uh, imperials, they were, they were just, you you saw them, and and even in the group of rebels that joined Jin and and Rogue One, uh, like it's all dudes. It's all dudes. <laughs> and, is, how do you say a sausage fest? Yeah, it really is, and it because I I know you've you've heard of the five man band trope, right? Um, I'm not sure if I have. Okay, so the five man band uh, trope is basically like in any given like, ensemble group, you have, like, your five main characters, and of those five, usually it's the one chick. Like, every cartoon we watched, like, growing up, there's always the one girl amidst the group of guys. And this is, like, the ultimate example of that. It is one woman (laughs) amongst these people going into Scarif surrounded by just all dudes. It's like, oh, the super special girl who's going in there, and, you know, that kind of deal. So right. it's, it's like, really, you couldn't cast at least two or three women to be in that group of rebels in that one shot because 
that was tough for you? I, I don't know. I, I don't understand how that casting decision was made and not realize that, oh, hey, you know what? We're distinctly lacking some women here. Yeah. Well, and I mean, on, but on that note, like, the one thing I'm really glad, like, they didn't actually capture, like, there were, like, because I've heard it from a number of people where they're like, I totally shot, thought, like, Cassian and Jin should have hooked up. And I was like, mm. no. No, yeah. they shouldn't have. Like, I'm really glad they didn't. Like, mm-hmm. there was no necessity for that. Like, this is a story of tragedy. We didn't need to introduce a Romeo Juliet like love story to this at all. Yeah. Like, sure, he was sympathetic. Like, by the end, to like her struggles and like her to his, and that was perfect. Mm-hmm. Like, I was so happy they didn't go with like some weird like conclusion of like oh. But then they kiss, and the nuclear apocalypse wipes them out. Like, I was so glad that didn't happen. No, I and I was, for a second. I was worried about it for, for a hot minute, like, once they were getting towards the end there. I was like, oh, because they were standing pretty close to each other, and then even before the bomb hits them, I was like, are they going to, like, try to kiss each other? Like, please don't do that, please don't do that, please don't do that. And then they didn't <laughs> do it, and I was, so, I was so happy when they died, they didn't kiss each other. <laughs> Which is the weirdest sentence you ever have to say sometimes, but you're like, no, it makes sense in context. <laughs> but yeah, it, it was it was really nice from the perspective of a woman watching you know a, a movie like this to see a female character at the very least not be questioned purely on the basis of her gender, which happens a lot. Um, some people don't realize it, but it happens uh, that everyone that any of the doubts that they have on Jin are not based on her just being a woman. It's based on the circumstances of her father is, you know, in the imperial pocket, basically. Um, so, like, those things I appreciate. But yeah, the, on the other side of it, it's like, y'all needed to put a few more women in there. A lot more women, actually. Way more women of color. Please. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So... I mean, those those were kind of like the major gripes, like just in terms of how the characters were utilized um, within the story, because the story is an interesting one. I really love the story. I just wish that the characters had been given more time uh, to be who they are and to have like, I guess, fuller arcs. I think I feel like Chirrut and Baze actually have probably the fullest arc in terms of characters, Baze especially, <laughs> because he he basically rekindles his faith because of Chirrut. And then he gets his his badass takedown. Um, so his, his is like the most complete story in terms of like, oh, I feel like that was a satisfactory ending for him. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and it's one of those where like, it, and I know like I've had this discussion with like our friend Tiff and mm-hmm. uh, like my wife and stuff, um, where I would I would honestly love a separate movie or like any mini series that explains just more about their background. Right. Like, like how Bayes lost that faith. Like what, what, what was the tipping point ultimately for him? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how he came to meet Chirrut, um, and, and like how they became so close. Like those are all like interesting things. And, and the sad thing is I can't say that about really any other character. Mm-hmm. Like there isn't anything about Jin that I'm like, I'm really curious about her struggles. Like, it seems pretty cut and dry that once Saw kind of cut her loose, life just sucked. Yeah. Like, it, it was just generally miserable. Um, Actually, I think um, Cashin and, and K2SO would be an interesting, like, short. You know, like a... 
because he's a he's a reprogrammed imperial uh, droid, basically. Yeah. And he's clearly got a sadistic side to him. So what's that like when he's paired with Cassian, who uh, there was this brief exchange between Jin and Cassian that I did like where because Jin is kind of like she gets to pick she's picking and choosing when she's involved, like she's not fully in the rebellion and she's not, you know, obviously on the imperial side either. Um, but she chooses when she's involved, and he's like, I've been in this since I was seven years old. Um, he's he's been making those decisions, those hard decisions, which have turned him into the man he is, you know, since he was a child. So, and it, and it shows kind of like how, how like far stretching the, the empire's influence has been, like how it's brought down the galaxy in these like last 20 to 30 years or something like that. Um, and so I felt like that exchange was a really good one in terms of those two characters, but uh, whenever K2SO was reprogrammed, it would have been interesting. Like, how was he paired up with Cashin? Like, what was... Did they just think that the two of them complemented each other really well? Yeah. Yeah, well, well, and even going to, like, a character like Galen, like... Yeah. All we really know of Galen is, A, he's a really bad dad. <laughs> like, he is not doing his job the well. Worst. Um, but, again, there's just, like, we've know a very brief history of like his time with the empire before he like agrees to go back um and help them so to speak uh finish whatever you know what what they're working on with the death star Mm -hmm. um but again we don't we don't know anything about him so like it it just made me like i didn't care about galen like at the end of the day like i was the guy who was sitting there going like when when cassian's given the order where he's just like like you're you need to assassinate him like that's yeah. that's no matter what Galen or so cannot live. Um, I was like, okay, like that could happen. Well, I, I mean, it, it's like it's gonna suck for Jin, but hey, hey like her life sucks anyway. Yeah, like, we're not. <laughs> like, this isn't gonna change anything. It clearly already scale. sucks for her. So I mean, you know, yes. why mess with so, what works? <laughs> right. Like I just I didn't care about the character, and that and that was like. Um, another of the small problems in this movie is like there, as as said, like there were just like these things where like I wanted to relate to a character, I wanted to know more about them, um, and then other characters that they just didn't sell me on it. Whereas mm-hmm. like, eh, they're okay. Like I think it's I, I like I think this character is fairly well written for the most part. But um, as said, like there was just not enough time for us to gain real. Um, levity to any of these characters yeah. um and mm-hmm. i mean there's no way like i don't i don't know like i can't think of like really great ways that they could have done it like there's definitely some like as you said there's certain things they could have changed uh even some characters they could have got rid of um you know like why did we have to have the guy in the beginning who t- tells cassian there's a defector <laughs> and then like he kills that guy yeah. and then like makes his escape from the stormtroopers like why did that guy have to happen like as you said like we could have got rid of that guy we could have got rid of saw mm-hmm. we could have had him just meet up with Bodhi, and then like Bodhi be like in him in, in him be like so you're defecting and he'd be like yeah i have some important information that i ha- I, I have to get you know to to, to this person to Jin. and then they could have gone on you know we could have skipped a whole bunch of crap to be like oh okay so they meet each other early on maybe not even have weird brain slugs that, like, make him crazy. Like, I mean, there's, there's so many different ways we could have gone where, like, things, I think, would have made a lot more sense. Mm-hmm. 
Hell, uh, you know, when he meets up with that, when Cashin meets up with that dude, and he's asking about the defector, he could have been, like, that, that dude could have been taking him to Bodhi. Like, like he was hiding him or something like that. And he was really worried about stormtroopers and then suddenly they're showing up and then he knows he has to get Bodhi because Bodhi has in the information. So he kills that dude and then takes Bodhi with him. You know, right. there, there were other ways to introduce the idea of a defector and still make it work for the characters. But yeah, I mean, it's just, it's like they padded it with people that were unnecessary to this. Cause, uh, cause Galen is just there to give information and die. I mean, that's all he's for. Um, so you could have just easily had Mads Mikkelsen film a couple of scenes and then just have him be a hologram the whole time. So <laughs> it's like they've done it before. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, overall, I feel like the the, the movie is still still one that I enjoy, um, and I've been seeing a lot of people trying to compare it like they're not necessarily compare it, but they're, you know, up against Force Awakens. Like, they're saying, like, oh, I like this one more than that one, or whatever. Um, I don't know. Do you do you prefer Rogue One over Force Awakens in terms of the, the newer Star Wars projects coming out, or do, does it really matter to you? Is it all kind of the same? See, for me, I don't think you can make a fair comparison mm-hmm. between this movie and The Force Awakens. Like, I think they're... I think they're completely different levels mm-hmm. um, in terms of what you're going for. Like, if you're going... Like, for me, I love this movie on, on, on the independent basis of, like, it's an original story. Like, that alone, I was sold. I was like, I'm gonna go watch this movie no matter what because it's it has nothing to do with Luke. It has very little to do with Leia. <laughs> like, it has very little to do in, like, with the, the Skywalkers. Like, they aren't doing something stupid or being emo in the universe to affect the outcome of what happens in this, in this story. Um, so, uh, and when we go to the force awakens, we're back in that box, but it's still like that movie was still such a great story. It built on nostalgia. Um, it took a lot of us. Um, it, I, it, it did a great job. I think of taking a lot of us back to the nostalgia days of like what we loved about a new hope empire strikes back return of the Jedi. Um, and, and still bringing it even for a younger generation to see that joy that so many of us had and be able to relate to it and still find like the comedy and like those little like subtle moments, um, that Lucas turned into, you know, uh, giant spectacles that, you know, we're there to entertain children where it's like, we didn't need a spectacle to entertain children. We just needed like a few moments. And I think the force awakened pulled that off. Um, so, I mean, as far as like trying to say like rogue ones better than the force awakens or vice versa, I don't, I don't think I can say either is better than the other because I, I think they're just completely different. Like I, I think they're totally different worlds of their own, mm-hmm. um, in that respect. Um, I love both of them ultimately um i am excited to see like what disney's going to do with uh future smaller stories i can't say i'm super stoked about the solo han movie that they're doing um because i don't like the guy they picked because he doesn't look like a young han solo to me (laughs) no it's yeah the 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 young han solo movie i'm i'm so indifferent about because it's like I don't need to know how we got the Millennium Falcon. It's it's not important to me. Right, like he probably stole it from a guy. Like in the story. Like Well, no, I think he cuz I think in what Empire they say that he won the the Falcon off of Lando. 
So, okay, we already got well, the origin we're story. Spend like an hour and a half watching them play like a terrible card game and like Chilando <laughs> out of it. Basically, I mean, it's just a smuggler's story. I feel like I feel like it's just retreading. It's it's not even retreading. It's just ground that is not needed because. The, the characters in, in the original trilogy are very archetypical. I mean, Han is the rogue and everything, and he has a bit of an arc where he starts to care more about people, and, and you know, he's willing to make those sacrifices by the end and, and whatnot. So it's like Han has everything going for him in the original trilogy, you know? So, I mean, what is... The, the the purpose of the of this Han Solo movie that's coming up is basically... I mean, it's as much of a cash grab as you can get, I mean, right. I don't know what, what do you, what do you, I mean, I guess the thing is like, what are you ultimately trying to accomplish with this story? And I can't rightly say that I trust that what they're trying to accomplish is anything less than we want money. So. Right. Well, and I mean, and I guess like to some degree, like if it's like, we want more money so we can do more for, you know, this new trilogy story that we're, we're, we're building on, I guess I kind of get that. But at the same time, I'm like, it's. It's Disney. Yeah. You guys do not have a lack of money. No, like, like that's, that's not an issue. That's complete bullshit. They don't, they, like, every movie that they've made thus far under Lucasfilm has made it, made back the money they, they bought it out for, like, once over at this point. I well, mean, yeah, for, like, example, like, the budget on Rogue One was $200 million, and they made somewhere right around $850 million on it. Yeah. They're, they're, like, so you made your money back, uh, obviously it's, it's classified as a success yeah um, despite so that that really big boycott that was going on by all the trump people <laughs> right you know that when when nazis and racists are like we're gonna boycott your movie like oh no stop come back please <laughs> right. don't boycott this movie that's totally gonna make tons of money <laughs> yeah I mean, I guess, what do you think, though? Like, what, like, like on that comparison, like, mm-hmm. is, is there one you think is better than the other, or? Um, I think, like you, I don't feel like necessarily one is better than the other. They, they both have their positives and their negatives, definitely. Um, I feel like in terms, though, of watchability, I would much prefer to go back to Force Awakens. Just because they're, um, you know... With Rogue One, it is what it is. I understand what type of movie this is, but it's not one that I can I can see myself wanting to watch multiple times. You know, if I have it on DVD, right? You know, whereas Force Awakens, I feel like I can put that in because there is that adventurous aspect to it. There is that um, that kind of co- the those callbacks to the nostalgia. There, I mean, it just it has to me. It just has more watchability. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> so I think for me, I just, it, it falls on that. It, it's not necessarily that I, you know, that one is a better movie over, over the other. It's just that one has, I think more watchability, uh, upon repeat. Yeah. No, I can get behind that. Yeah. I mean, I would definitely like, I mean, I, you know, once my nephew is old enough to start watching these movies, I mean, really, and start really appreciating them too, which could be around the age of like six or seven, quite frankly, you know, there'll be about two or three more movies out that he'll be able to enjoy. So, um, we'll definitely be watching all of them. And so I'll probably get to see how, how good Rogue One is upon repeat as well. Right. So, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. I, I, I'm more looking forward to introducing my nephew to a lot of this stuff, too, because it's like, okay, let's get you involved, and 
maybe the prequels will save for another time because they're not important. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and, and I mean, and I think that's that's such an important thing um, with either of these movies. It's like they're both movies that have have again gotten an entire generation that fell in love um, with this franchise back to being excited about it. Like, mm-hmm. even if people didn't like Rogue One before they ever went to see it, obviously, like, when they went to see it, they were excited to see it. Mm-hmm. To some degree, one way or the other, it was just like, this is something new. Like, this is in a world that I, I love and I appreciate because I've grown up with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, kind of as you said, like, the fact that your nephew's going to be growing up, he's going to be able to see, like, where we started and where this franchise has come um, and have his own separate appreciation for it um, at, at some point where he'll 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 choose like he'll he'll go like I love these movies I didn't really like these movies um, <laughs> and he'll have he'll, he, you know he'll he'll be like us he'll you know be uh, opinionated and um, uh, narcissistic about it damn straight <laughs> you're like how dare you <laughs> <laughs> you've insulted my opinion by not liking this one movie. <laughs> I'll be like, if, I swear to God, if he loves Jar Jar, I'm going to be like, no, no. Um, sister, uh, are you sure they didn't give you the wrong one? Like, yeah. <laughs> no way, Mila, because I used to joke about this too before he was born. I uh, like if if I imagined myself having a kid, like, oh, you like you like Aquaman? Oh, I see. What about Batman? No, Batman? No, Aquaman? Ugh. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, but I... That with my nephew. My nephew is three. Um, he pretty much doesn't know me. Uh, mm-hmm. Other than, apparently, he sees my picture a lot, and my sister talks about me a lot, and he thinks I walk on water um, <laughs> for whatever reason. And I'm like, man, he is going to be sorely disappointed when me and him eventually hang out. It's like, what did you tell him I could do? Like, Jesus. Right? Um, but I, I make sure at every opportunity, uh, birthday, uh, Christmas random times i send him anything batman i possibly can (laughs) i'm like you will love this character oh no i have a onesie that i bought uh about my nephew that is a batman onesie and i was just like who's my little bat who's my little bat (laughs) i'd taken a picture of him after he'd had a bath and then we put him into his uh the batman onesie and uh And I sent the picture to my sister because, you know, I was just looking after my mom and I were. And I was like, well, uh, Batman took a bat bath and now he's down for his bat nap. So (laughs) I was like, oh, I'm so happy to be able to write that sentence. (laughs) 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 Got to get your jollies in where you can. Right. Right. Um, okay, so I feel like we have, we have talked about everything we can about Rogue One, um, unless you feel that there is something we haven't mentioned, something that, uh, you know, something about the movie, something surrounding the movie that you want to talk about, uh, be my guest. Um, I mean, I don't think there's anything else to hit on. The only thing I would advise for anybody that hasn't, like, if you haven't seen the movie and, like, obviously, like, you're hearing our opinion, um, and, and you've, uh, gone through a lot of spoilers at this point, um, <laughs> it's still definitely worth a watch. Oh, like, yeah. definitely, like, check it out. Like, this is, there, there's, as we said, like, there's super solid characters in here that you're gonna absolutely fall in love with. Like, if you don't like Chirrut, which is played by Donnie Yen, if you don't like that character, if you don't like K2SO, 
there's something wrong in your life. And like, I don't know, maybe, maybe you need to find help or, or find joy somewhere, but like, find your bliss. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but I mean, they're, they're, it's definitely worth a watch. It's, and if, if for anything to get a story outside of the Skywalkers, to see something else in that universe that isn't the norm to get out of your comfort zone and just kind of appreciate a film in the Star Wars universe just for being a film in the Star Wars universe. Yeah. No, definitely. Yeah, it's it's definitely worth a watch. I mean, I I told my father if he wanted to go see it in the theaters, I'd go with him because it's just like it's still something that you can enjoy on its own merit, um, but also still appreciate like where it fits in within the Star Wars universe. Um, and like you said, James, there's characters that you will almost immediately fall in love with and want to, uh, I think that's, I think that is one of the best parts of the movie too, is that they're, they're characters that you want to enjoy more of. And so I feel like the, whatever novels are going to come out around this, or, you know, if they try to sneak them into like the rebels cartoon or something like that, or fan fiction in general, I mean, if you really want to see how much the community loves Chariot and Bays, go on Tumblr or search around the net for fan art because it does not disappoint. It is all good. <laughs> it's all good. So that that is also my uh, my advice to people listening to this: like, go see the movie, and then if you're still like aching for more of those characters, I'm fairly certain you can go on fanfiction.net or just start looking around deviant art for um, people's fan art. So, um, uh, before we go, James, is there anything you want to talk about, like promote or anything like that? Are you going to bring back Roman on the rocks? And Yeah. So, um, I, I finally got a work schedule where, uh, I have a little more open time. So, um, my site's still up there. Um, I haven't posted anything to it, which is fantastic, but, uh, be on the horizon to look for it. Um, it's just, uh, com. I need to check with Google though, to make sure that they haven't like, Hey, you don't do anything with it. So we just kind of suspended it, uh, because you're not doing anything with it. And you're like, oh, cool. Bar- uh, barring suspension, yeah. please go to Roman on the rocks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so hopefully, uh, yeah, I'll get back to, uh, podcasting, um, as I've kind of, uh, said in the past, um, I have found, uh, I really, really enjoy doing, like, podcasts like this, getting together with Sam, um, and doing all that, um, I've, uh, gotten together, uh, with Nathan on his cast, and I've done one so far, um, I don't know when he's posting it or if it's been posted. It, no, um, it hasn't, I can, I can tell you that, it's not, it's probably not gonna go live until the end of the month or something like that. Uh, okay. Um, where we talked about heroes and where things went so wrong on oh like, that series. So wrong. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, really great conversation. So um, I, I'm definitely trying to branch out um, away from if I can't even do my own thing. Uh, just getting on more and more podcasts. I love talking about nerdy crap. And, right. Um, as I so promoted to one of my uh, people I work with in my training class, uh, talking about, like, real issues in, like, this nerd community that we have, because um, I feel like we're such an open basis for uh, expanding into, um, you know, fair treatment of women um, in not only, like, video games and comics and just that industry as a whole, um, but across the board, um, you know, seeing representation for people of color um, appropriately in a lot of places mm-hmm. um, where it should be. So um, I just love having those conversations. So uh, hopefully we'll get into some of that uh, once I start my own podcast back up. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah, you'll probably hear from Sam on there, too. 
More than likely. I mean, even if I don't play the video game, I can always come in and just offer my colorful commentary. <laughs> of course. Yes. I've been playing Hearthstone now, so does that count as gaming? I don't know. It, it, I mean, it's a game, so... <laughs> it, it is. It's a game. Um, but yeah, uh, you can, uh, also for the, the details on uh, That Girl with the Curls, uh, Maniacal Geek, here we go. You can go to maniacalgeek.com. Uh, you can also go on Facebook, which is a joint group for Maniacal Geek and That Girl with the Curls. Go on iTunes for that girl with the curls, and you can follow me on uh, Twitter at darling underscore Sammy S A M M Y. Um, I'm trying to get back into the swing of all the writing and podcasting after going on a a, 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 a bit of a hiatus between Thanksgiving and and when this gets posted, which will be what next Friday, I think. Um, so yeah, uh, trying to get back into it. The holidays were kind of weird, so uh, slowly but surely, it's it's all coming back <laughs> to me. Um, and I'm looking forward to putting more out there, and I, I still haven't heard back, but I'm hoping to have a panel at Emerald City Comic Con, but I'm still waiting on words, so uh, may or may not, but I'm, I'm definitely going to be there. It's just in whatever capacity, so... <laughs> Um, but, uh, once again, on behalf of that girl with the curls, James, it's always wonderful talking to you. Uh, you've been missed, so thank you for coming back. <laughs> yeah. Um, and as always, good night, everybody. Bye.